Brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. Let us pray. Holy and merciful God, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts and minds will be pleasing to Thee, our guide and our destination. Amen. This is my least... Jesus tells 32 parables, and this is my least favorite of all of the parables. It's so confusing. A simple reading on the surface of this parable, Jesus is comparing God Almighty to this jerk of a judge. This judge who says that he doesn't even have faith and that he cares for no people. Probably should have that judge impeached, frankly. And then a widow comes to him, a widow, and asks for justice. And eventually he relents and gives her what she wants. And he says, so too, we must always pray to God without ceasing. And then he closes it with this question, will God find faith when he comes to earth? I think that so often in my life, I'm given over to this kind of style of prayer, especially in times of trauma, tragedy, and grief, where I go to God faithfully, lift up my prayer for salvation, hope, or whatever, and then I close the door, say amen. But that's not really what Jesus is so often asking us to do when we go to God in prayer. And in the Hebrew Bible, God tells us again and again and again and again, be still, be silent, be still. Jesus says again and again, meditate upon me. Less about the words that we take to God in prayer and more about kind of our posture. It's the way that we're in the world. I had a marvelous worship professor in seminary, Scott Haldeman, who taught us, and most of us in seminary, we were doing worship, we were planning chapel services, a lot of us had home churches where we're planning worship, and we tended to think about worship as this performance that we had to kind of kick off each Sunday, like it was a big dance, and it all had to be scripted, perfect, Things would, one thing would go to the next and the next. And his biggest fear for us, I think, was that we wouldn't know what to do if something didn't follow the bulletin or didn't go according to the plan. He wanted us to be resilient. What happens when you're worshiping together and the organ just quits? What happens when you're worshiping together and the microphone breaks or something like that? An experience that I had worshiping together and a member of the church had a cardiac event during worship. And there I was, halfway through my sermon. There's a man having a heart attack. Ours, we had to call 911. We called the EMTs. We had an AED in the church at the time, and a few of the other fellows helped get it on him and everything. But what was I to do with all these people? You know, this guy certainly didn't want everybody gawking at him having a medical emergency during worship. And I did what I think was the right thing. I asked the organist if he would just quietly play some hymns. And then I asked all of us in worship to simply pray for this man. I saw a video one time of a United Church of Christ congregation, much like our own. And on that particular Sunday of all Sundays, an individual chose to come into the church to protest something that the pastor had said or done. And I saw the most amazing thing in this video. 
I use this video with some of my seminarians that I've worked with them before. And the members of the church stood, and the pastor came down out of the pulpit, and they held hands, and they simply prayed for this gentleman. They prayed. And they prayed the Lord's Prayer, and they prayed all the prayers that they knew. And eventually he calmed down, and he sat down. And the pastor went back up and finished his sermon. It was a miracle. So sometimes when we're in worship together, things go wrong. Anybody here ever accidentally drop the bread into the cup when you take communion? What, what do you do? Do I, what, how do I, are you going to get in there and fish? <laughs> Your communion servers use uh, hand sanitizer before we serve communion, so we'll fish it out. But you don't have to. You can just leave it in there. You can always take a little bit more. There's enough Jesus to go around. It's been 2,000 years. We haven't run out yet. It's okay. A church I served once didn't have the benefit of this lovely carpeting. They had a stone tile floor. If I live for 1,000 years, I'll never forget the sound of that clay communion cup hitting the floor of that church and shattering into about a billion pieces. It takes courage to say, it's going to be okay. To simply move the line to the side and continue serving communion. What Scott wanted us to understand was that, look, you can't screw it up. You can't mess it up. Bring your whole messy self into the presence of God. God's effectiveness in our lives is not based on how well we perform our faith. Because our faith is not a performance. It's a way of life. And you're allowed to make mistakes. Fumble the ball. So too, when we, got, when we go to God in prayer, even St. Paul tells us that the groanings, the wordless groanings of those in pain are heard and understood by God. So it's not what you say. It's whether you are showing up. And part of showing up, I think, with God means that we surrender. We surrender in the way that the judge surrenders the story. It's so easy to think of God as the judge and the widow as this sort of penitent Christian appealing to God week after week, please give me what I need. And God finally gets worn down and says, all right, fine. But what if the judge is not God? What if we're the judge and God is the widow? Remember that our faith is unique in that ours is not a faith where we get what we want from God through supplication, sacrifice, hair shirts, and penance. There are religions that are like that. Religions where the more you suffer, the more you sacrifice, the more likely the God you worship is to give in and give you what you want. Or religions where the higher that you climb the mountain, the closer that you get to God. The deeper you study the mystical texts, the more you draw near to the holy. But ours isn't that way. Ours is the opposite. Ours is a faith where we are asked to surrender to relax, to be quiet, and to let God, like that widow, finally get through to us. Finally get through to us. God's asking every day for 
you to listen. And so often we're going to God in prayer and we're speaking and telling and, and beseeching God for what we need and we don't listen. We hang up the phone. But God's like that widow again and again and again, relentlessly pursuing us, relentlessly asking us to give God what God wants, justice. So I think that it can be a Christian discipline to chillax, as the kids say, to just calm down and listen. Silence is a gift in this modern age. When I said the bit about the cell phone, I really meant it. It's like a compulsion. You finish a task, maybe a little bit ahead of time, you got five minutes or you're sitting in the dentist's office, you know, waiting for the, waiting to, get, waiting to get chewed out for not flossing enough, you know, and then waterboarded basically. You got five minutes to yourself, why not pull out your cell phone and take a look at it? My experience in the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Office in Detroit, Michigan, the first time I went with Auntie Sahida, I didn't realize they were going to make me empty my pockets. I emptied my pockets. So, well, of course, you're going to let me keep my cell phone, right? No. No cell phones. Nothing. No book. Not even a pencil. You would show up 8 o'clock in the morning, and your appointment was whenever they got to you. First time I went with Sahida, I sat for four hours. No cell phone, no book, nothing. For four hours in silence. Now for Auntie Sahida, she knew every Muslim prayer in the book. She had plenty to do. She prayed for everyone in that room, and then she prayed for everyone in our church, and then she just started praying for people she'd never met before. She prayed for each one of those ICE officers about a dozen times. She used to rise in the middle of the night, every night, and walk the church and say a thousand prayers and go back to bed. I learned in that space how to pray because there was nothing else to do. At a point in my career where I had about a billion things going on and I was keeping a lot of plates spinning in the air and I was serving a great big church and I seemed to have all my stuff together, I was getting pretty stressed out. And the only person that knew was the other pastor, the other full-time pastor who worked the church. And she, uh, she knew things that, about me that I didn't know. She knew that I was reaching a point of burnout. And she didn't want to be there for it because she knew she was going to have to pick up the slack. And so she made me uh, like all of these business cards. She just left them on my desk. It just says, Jesus wants you to relax. Jesus wants you to relax. I got a lot of these. I'm going to take them downstairs with me. I'm going to leave them on the fellowship tables. You all can take one home with you. Just put it in your pocket. Put it in your shirt pocket. I'll lose it. Maybe you'll find it this week. What am I supposed to do? Is it my time to pray? Pull this thing out. Just read it. It says Jesus wants you to relax. If we're like that unjust judge, we relax. And we listen to the voice of the widow, the voice of God, compelling us to give God what God wants, which is what? Our whole selves. 
Nothing less and nothing more. It's hard to be vulnerable. Like that unjust judge. Perhaps he thinks, well, if I give in to the widow now, I'm going to be admitting that I was wrong all of those times before. I'm going to be admitting that I was unjust and that I ought to have just given her what she wanted the first time she showed up. Well, I can't do that. I'm going to look foolish. I might have to apologize. My God. So too with us, if we say at this late point in my life, if I choose to relax and give my heart to God, I might be admitting that I was wrong before. And then what? I might have to ask for forgiveness. I might have to confess. But Christians, we know that asking for forgiveness from God brings God joy. And it brings God happiness to receive our vulnerability, our admission that we didn't quite hit the mark. And God forgives us. Recently, I was invited to say a prayer for a group of Catholic workers who were going to be attending uh, a protest event. All of these folks were over the age of 80. They've been Catholic workers their whole lives. These people have said more prayers than I'll ever say. These are people who pray the rosary four times a day. How am I going to pray for them? The only thing I could think to say was that, God, if they see anything, if they see a projection of violence in this world, give them the peace, quiet their hearts, so that they can hear your voice. That was all I wanted God to do for these people. It's all I would want for anyone I love. That they learn how to relax. That they reach not for the troubles of the world. In times when their troubles seem managed, they decide to turn on the news and make themselves anxious about something else. Perhaps some of us get a little dopamine hit from worrying about stuff. I bought a t-shirt for a friend of mine recently that's got a little cartoon character and underneath it says, maybe worrying about it will help. God doesn't want us to worry. Jesus certainly doesn't want us to worry. Worrying is a very human thing to do, but it does not affect the number of your days nor the quality of your days. It's okay to relax and be silent. It's okay to have nothing to do. That's a, that's a blasphemy against American civic religion to say it's okay to have nothing to do. I can hear my father's voice, you know. If you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. But it is okay, Christian, to have nothing to do. That's oftentimes when God tells us what we're to do next. And then we're not anxious because we know we're doing the work of God, carrying out our discipleship in the world. This week, as we depart from this place, I want you to take one of these cards with you. That fellowship ball, just put it in your pocket and try and forget about it. And in the coming week, when you find that couple of minutes of silence. Don't fret. Don't fill it with activity. Don't fill it with action. For the love of God, don't fill it with your smartphone or social media. But just decide to chill out for a few minutes. Relax. Take it easy. Perhaps if you're like me and you, your mind has to have something to focus on, I try to see a little miracle, a little flower growing between the bricks in the front yard, or the way my, the way my baby daughter's hair seems to make a halo around her head 
when it's not brushed or the way that I see the light shine off the red maple trees on a cool afternoon in the waning sunlight. Find a little miracle, give thanks to God, and then quiet your heart and listen and listen and listen. And if that's the only prayer that you, the only prayer that you ever pray is to be quiet and listen for God, you're 99% of the way there. You're 99% of the way there, Christians. Praise God that ours is a still-speaking God. Praise God that we serve a God who wants not our sacrifice, but rather our surrender. And praise God that ours is a God of endless grace, endless mercy, endless patience, like that widow, and endless love. You are so deeply loved by God, so deeply loved by God, that he waited four billion years to meet you. And he can't wait to talk with you. Amen.